We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Tuesday, October the 22nd, 2019, and today I'm joined by former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath as we break down the Gamecocks 38-27 to loss to Florida. We talk about everything from the referees to Ryan Holinsky's development as a passer to the running game and Tavian Feaster going off, the Gamecocks defense, where the team goes from here, including a pivotal matchup against the Tennessee Volunteers this upcoming weekend, and much, much more. Before we dive into all that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one that I recommend. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're actually going to save $20 off your first purchase. Whether you need tickets to any of the remaining South Carolina Gamecocks football games, South Carolina basketball, any other South Carolina sporting event, uh, concerts, comedy club events. They've also got tickets to NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB playoffs, the World Series obviously coming up. Anything you can buy tickets to that you need tickets to, SeatGeek is going to have it there for you. They're the best because they've actually got a great ticket rating app where they rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you have that peace of mind before you even click the buy button. You know exactly what you're getting. You're getting the best bang for your buck. They're going to tell you whether you're getting a steal, whether you're getting ripped off. They really do all the work for you on their end. And like I said, give you that peace of mind. So when you click the buy button, you know you've made the best possible purchase for your money. So again, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. That's S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. What kind of work do you do? Appreciate you guys tuning in. Joining me now on the Spurs Up show, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath. Alex, if you're unfamiliar, played with the Gamecocks from 2005 to 2008, and he joins me today on Tuesday, as he will every Tuesday, to break down the weekend that was in South Carolina football. Today we're talking the Gamecocks 38-27 to loss to Florida Gators. Before we do that, Alex, appreciate you taking the time, man. Looking forward to uh, having, having you on each and every week, and appreciate you taking the time, my man. No, absolutely, man. Glad to come on and – give my hot takes on where the state of the program is uh, following all these games. For sure. And, I, you know, it's funny, your first time coming on discussing, we've got a game that's got a lot of controversy surrounding it against South Carolina, falling to Florida 38-27. But I'm going to start where everyone else wants to start, and that is with the referees. You know, Alex, talk about the game on Saturday again. 
you know, I, I talked on the show, on the big show on Monday, that I'm not going to sit here and be the guy that says the refs are the number one reason that South Carolina lost the football game because there were other factors, in my opinion, that went into that. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to break those down, obviously. But just talk about your takeaway from the game as far as the officiating. I mean, have you – where does that rank for you as far as games you've watched where the officiating was questionable? Do um, that's a great question. I couldn't give you like a historical context on it. I mean, you know, just with my own eyeballs looking at it, it was not their best effort by any stretch of the imagination. And there was a lot of things or, you know, several kind of crucial calls that got missed or just were let go for one reason or another that seemed to swing momentum in some form or fashion. But, you know, to, in like the loss completely on the officials, I think is short-sighted in a lot of ways. It's an easy straw man for us mm. to look at when, you know, truthfully we had every opportunity to win that game and just didn't execute where we needed to. I, I will say though, I, I was in the end zone for the, uh, the, the long touchdown run where Israel McQuamu was yeah. held for what felt like 40 yards down the field. And, you know, I didn't see it at the time, but went on social media, there was also a false start on that play I mean, that was probably yep. one of the more absurd things I've ever seen where, I mean, I was just in pure shock. Because like I said, I was in that end zone. I mean, you can see clear as day the Florida defender just pulling the back of Israel McQuamu's jersey. And the SEC tried to give some explanation that, you know, the runner didn't try to break away or make a move towards the, the running back, which I just – I don't understand the reasoning at all. But, yeah, like, like you said, I mean, again, I'm not going to pin the loss totally on the refs, but – the refs were very bad. I mean, the refs played mm-hmm. – here's the thing. When the refs – the refs should not play that big of a role in a game. Like, you should let both teams play. Like, if we're talking – it's kind of like talking about offensive line play. You know they're doing their job and we don't have to bring them up. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that. And yep. the refs played such a role in that game Saturday. I don't really know. We were talking about this off air. I don't really know what you can do or what can happen. But it was weird because – I would argue the refs were bad on both sides, no questions asked. Florida fans coming at USC fans saying, well, the refs were bad on our side too, no doubt. But it just felt like every single call that went against the Gamecocks was like you were saying, just such a momentum-shifting, back-breaking type of play. From the long touchdown run to J.C. Horn's interception being taken off the board to the missed pick play, which I know those go missed all the time, but that one was so blatantly obvious. It just felt like every single play that – the Gamecocks were called against them or whatever no calls there were. It was like a back-breaking, momentum-changing type play. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's funny you bring up the like the long touchdown run and the holding call because I remember like watching that on my couch and I completely missed the false start when the play started. And then, you know, I'm watching the, the touchdown run down the sidelines and I'm watching their corner hold McQuamu like across his back on kind of his opposite shoulder, shoulder pad, just watching it thinking they were going to throw the flag, they didn't. And then kind of just watching it again and over and over again on the replays, like, I can't – I mean, it's, he's definitely holding him. I understand where they're coming from, saying, like, did that really impede him from being able to make a tackle? Because the guy's running stride for stride right next to him. It doesn't change that he's dragging his jersey. But you kind of – like, the way I'm reading their interpretation of that is, is like, you know, if you're playing basketball and you're playing defense on somebody – you're not, you're not going to get a blocking call until you get in the way of the guy trying to get to the basket or try to cut him off and you hit him. So, I mean, it, it definitely should have been flagged. It, I mean, truthfully, truthfully, that play shouldn't have even – like the holding shouldn't have even mattered because mm-hmm. the play should have been blown down on the false start. 
Um, you know, the pick play is what it is. I, I mean, Clemson won a national title on a yeah. pick play, and it just doesn't seem like it happens a lot. I mean, everybody has a everybody often. has a pick play, like everyone. I yeah, mean, you played you played for Spurrier. I feel like that was his go to was the pick play. Oh yeah, no, we had an entire offensive set that was basically just pick plays and man-to-man defense. But the whole thing was, you've got to like, if you're going to get in somebody's way, you've got to act like you're trying right. to get open or catch a ball. And right. that guy was basically—it's kind of like un, it's like the unwritten—it's like how there's unwritten rules in baseball. It's like an unwritten rule in football that you know, pretend you're just getting in the way, but we know what we're doing and they know what we're doing too. It's just—it's part of the game. Oh yeah, and then the the J.C. Horn interception when you know to get the holding call. I, I mean. It was it was weird that they called it holding because if, I don't know if you've seen the replay of it, but you know when that guy made his break uh, to go for the corner, uh, JC reached out and face masked him. Mm. So I don't know if that's if they just called holding or if that's you know a portion of the holding playbook. But it was it looked more like a face mask to me than a holding call, which was. You know, pretty par for the course for the way that officiating crew was working. No doubt. I was just going to say, speaking back to that long touchdown run, like I said, I was in that end zone. I mean, it's just like a rule of thumb amongst officials that when you see the handful of jersey, like the flag is going to come out, dude, no matter what. Yeah. Like you said, the play should have never happened. I don't know how you miss a false start. And there were multiple times where I saw and it looked like, you know, somebody jumped early for Florida and they just let the play go. And I don't understand how you miss a call like that. I mean, you are a trained referee. Like, you're, that's as simple and as elementary as it gets. Um, but that long run, yeah, I mean, I'm just sitting there. I wasn't even upset when it was happening. It was like, all right, here comes the flag any second now. They're going to throw it. And it's just like play keeps going on, going on, going on, nothing. So, I mean, it was it was awful. I think the refs deserve all the criticism they're getting. I would just say to South Carolina fans, I mean, unfortunately, I don't think anything's going to happen. At, you know, obviously put out the, the, uh, the question today, what would USC fans like to see happen? If you haven't looked at that thread, it's hysterical. Some of the some of the responses are just absolutely out there, which I appreciate. But I mean, realistically, what's going to happen? They're not going to go replay the game. I doubt they're going to suspend the refs in any way. I know Will Muschamp already talked to the uh, to the head office, the head SEC office. I would have loved to have heard that conversation, but uh, you know, it, it's just unfortunate. I mean, the refs all across the SEC, I feel like had terrible games. Bama, t- Bama, Tennessee was another prime example of the, uh, yeah, the struggles good. the SEC refs had on Saturday. So I, I want to move to on the field, Alex. I want to get your opinion on, you know, you're an offensive guy, and a lot of people were questioning the offensive game plan and really the play calling. You know, it's interesting. Brian McClendon, a guy to me, he may be the most confu- – he confuses me because there are games where I look at him and think he's a genius and there are other games where you look at the play calling and you think to yourself what in the world is going on I mean how did you like the offensive game plan on Saturday I mean truthfully I didn't really have an issue with it and reason being like you know the way that you go through and you craft all this kind of stuff is you you know throw your interns and GAs on every snap that Florida's taken this year and then you every defensive snap that Florida's taken this year and then you know wherever that OC was before he was at Florida they go back and look at that too so what you end up coming out with is you know probabilities on if we're in this set, what kind of coverage are we going to get? Or, you know, if we've got three wide to the field, you know, what is their most likely defense going to be? And I think watching that game early where you had Shy Smith running by himself several different times and we just didn't hit him, you saw, you know, Polinsky doing a lot of pump fakes back there. So they obviously picked up on something that they saw 
watching that film of Florida and they were making those calls and they were putting our receivers in the right spot to go make a play. And we just didn't do it. I know the one that, you know, really, or at least that I could tell really infuriated people was, you know, obviously we're gashing them Mm -hmm. down the field, run, 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 run. We get down first and goal and we call a pass play. And I would kind of tell you it's the exact same situation where, you know, they've seen all of this tape. They've got a game plan in place that say, you know, if we can get into this situation and we get in this formation, they're probably going to run this defense and we're going to have the most likely chance of success running this play. So, you know, if that if that's what they saw in the game plan, I trust it or I trust what they were doing just because of everything I saw in the first half where we did have guys busting open down the field and we just didn't hit any of it. So I have less of a problem with the game plan and the calls. I mean, a lot of the, you know, passing statistics that we saw at the end of the game were kind of garbage time stats, just Mm -hmm. we're we're running up and down the field down 18. So I don't put too much on that, but from a game plan perspective, you know, they call, you know, at least early on, you know, they called plays that had, big opportunities to score touchdowns quickly and we just didn't get them. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with you. I mean, I, I think South Carolina fans, if listen, if you're a South Carolina fan and you're questioning, if nothing else, if you're questioning, if you're a little upset about the flow of the game, I thought offensively early South Carolina could not really find a flow. And yeah, that, that, that first and goal play call was a head scratcher at, at best. If you're a South Carolina fan though, and you're upset or kind of frustrated with the offensive play calling, I'm not going to sit there and say you don't have a reason to be. But I do agree with you that the lack of efficiency and the lack of uh, ability to hit those passes down the field, because, I mean, they were there. I mean, you had an instance where Shai Smith uh, was wide open, got open on a big double move. Brian Edwards a couple of times I thought at least had a step or two that if the ball is thrown in the right spot, I think he can make the play, make the catch. Um, and, which kind of leads me to my point, Alex. I, in, in my opinion, I talked about this again on the show Monday, but in my opinion, the number one reason South Carolina lost that football game on Saturday is simple. One quarterback made plays and one quarterback did not, and that quarterback was Kyle Trask of Florida. And unfortunately, Ryan Holinsky, for whatever reason, I don't know if he was off or what was going on, but when the plays were there to be made, I just didn't feel like – I feel like Ryan Holinsky simply did not make those plays versus Kyle Trask. I mean, honestly, tip of the cap to Kyle Trask. I mean, I thought South Carolina's defense, honestly, played a pretty good game. I thought their defensive line did what I expected. They caused havoc. They got in the backfield. And I saw Kyle Trask a lot slide out of the pocket – make plays with his legs, make throws under duress, make throws in a tight windows. And like I said, I don't know what it was. I mean, we've seen Ryan Linsky make those type of throws, but for whatever reason on Saturday, it just – it wasn't his day. It didn't click. And, again, to me, you know, Alex, outside of the refs, outside of everything else, that is the number one reason why South Carolina lost his football game is Ryan Linsky just did not make enough plays for Carolina to get the win. That's – I mean, that's 100% true. I mean, in my opinion, I don't want to, I don't want that to sound like I'm bashing him by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, you know, you've got these plays that you could hit and you didn't. And that's, I mean, ultimately when you're playing equal competition like that, mm-hmm. that's going to be the difference at the end of the day. And, you know, it, it, through seven games this year, you know, I would tell you, like, I mean, for, at least for me watching it, the frustrating part is other than Alabama, I feel like everybody we've played, we've had either similar talent to or were better than. Mm. And, you know, you're sitting there staring down four losses in the loss column. And I think that's 
ultimately is where a lot most of the fan frustration is coming from mm-hmm. or at least it, that's my read on it just because you know i you know watching that game you know kyle Trask definitely played better at quarterback on saturday but then you look at like the receiving talent the running back talent and you know the way our offensive line blocked the way our defensive line played like I mean, this may be ridiculous to say, but I didn't see a giant talent gap between the two teams. I mean, heck, you were leading 20 to 17 going to the fourth quarter. I mean, right. it's, you know, I, yeah. mean, I mean, South Carolina had every opportunity to win the football game. And I guess for me, that's the really frustrating part is that you went into a game leading. I mean, if you'd have given me that scenario, I'd take it 100 times out of 100. Hey, we have a three point lead at home against a top 10 team going to the fourth quarter. Like, hey, let's roll the dice and see what happens. But, you know, all the plays that Helensky missed, I feel like, were – those were game-changing type of plays. I mean, you hit – even if you just hit one of those deep balls, it has the opportunity to change the momentum completely. And, I, I mean, I just feel like the frustrating thing for me offensively is the way South Carolina had so much success on the ground running the football. I mean, if you had told me before the yep. game that South Carolina is going to rush for over 200 yards, Tavian Feaster is going to rush for a buck seventy-five. I just said South Carolina probably won by two touchdowns because I would assume, you know, Ryan Lindsey's going <laughs> to yeah. two fifty, three touchdowns, play action. They're going to be open down the field. Boom, he hits them, no big deal. And it's just, you know, I hear a lot of football guys, and I'm sure you would agree with this talk, there are about five or six plays in a game that really define the game. I mean, if you win the game on five or six plays, and I mean, South Carolina missed three or four deep balls that, like I said, even if you hit one of them, it's a game-changing type of play. But I think the crazy thing is, Alex, even with all of that, because most of the deep shots were missed early – South Carolina had the 20 to 17 lead going into the fourth quarter. I thought the uh, the Holinsky fumble that was really the back breaking type of play where you give them Florida a short field and listen, Florida's a good team. They've got good talent on offense. Michael P. Ryan's a really good running back. Like I said, Kyle Trask I think is going to be a really really good player for Florida. They've got a lot of talent on the outside, and you give those guys enough cracks at it. I mean, that's going to be a game you might have to win 35 to 31. Florida's going to get their points. But, uh, you know, overall, let's talk the running game, Alex. I mean, what, what was your take on the running game? Because, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, that Rico Dowdle is going to be okay and bounce back and be ready for this weekend's game against Tennessee. But this is a running game, in my opinion, that South Carolina can win with. I mean, you've got some, some games upcoming, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Appalachian State. You know, fans are expecting to go 3-0 and in those three games. Let's just call it for what it is. And then you go on the road to face Texas A&M, who's been – very iffy this season. That could be a 50-50 tight game as well. But just looking at this Gamecocks offense, I, I, I know that is a running game that you can win with going down the stretch. What was your take on the Gamecocks running game on Saturday? Oh, I, I totally agree with you there. I was more than impressed by really the last two weeks, the way we've been able to run the ball against impressive defensive lines and linebacking cores. So, you know, whatever whatever we're doing there is working. And, you know, if we can stay with that, I think it gives us an ultimate chance of success in those three upcoming contests. It's really – we've got to figure out how to make this passing game work because it just – it just hasn't been there. And hasn't been there really since – I want to say Alabama – Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, Ryan like Holinsky really has not played his his best football, yeah, since Bama. I mean, obviously Missouri was a struggle. I mean, Kentucky. I think he only threw for like 160 yards, but we ran the football so well. Now, Georgia, I will yep. say, before he got hurt, I think he was like 13 of 15. He was throwing the ball really, really well. But yeah, there. I mean, there's just not a lot of consistency there. I know he's a true freshman, but it's not his first start. You know what I mean? Like they need no, to. No, no, not there, there has to be a way. 
to find consistency. I mean, I'll ask you, like, when you look at the offense, I mean, do you think it's taking maybe less deep shots? Because I know that's a low percentage throw, but, you know, I think you'd like to hear this. I honestly think they need to get the tight end involved more. I mean, I like Nick Muse. Oh, I like yeah. Kyle Markway. Those are easy little dump-off passes most of the time. And they did throw it to him on Saturday, but, you know, Holinsky is an accurate quarterback. He's got all the arm talent in the world. But, you know, I made this take on the show earlier this week, Alex, and I'll just tell you, and it's a hot take, and I'm, I don't think it should actually happen. I think Ryan Holinsky more than capable of being the guy, and he is the guy. But if you can't throw the football with any more success than we saw on Saturday, why not put the carry-on joiner in? Because you still can't throw the football, and at least the carry-on joiner gives you the dual threat of he can take off in the pocket and give the defense something else to think about. Because, again, I'm just saying, if you can't throw the football with more success than you did on Saturday, you've got to change something up. That's just the bottom line. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I'm, I'm somewhat surprised we didn't see Dak on Saturday at all, just because you know the the way that we were having success in that game was on the ground. So really, if you throw him in there, all you're doing is adding an extra element to the ground game because now it's a a pull by him, or you you know fake, you throw short to tight ends, crossing routes, all those kinds of things. I think you know, kind of to your point, with the shorter range passes, you know, you want to build those in there simply because that's going to give you confidence down the road. You know, like I hit this one, I hit this one, I hit this one. Okay, let's take a deep shot. And all of a sudden you're kind of in that rhythm and you're allowing yourself chances to be successful in the passing game early on. That's just kind of, again, build that rhythm. So, you know, if the deep shots are there and that's what we want to do and that's what they see in practice, you know, that's just a call that they're going to have to make. I think, you know, I, you know, really since Muschamp's gotten there, there just hasn't really been a great offensive identity. And it seems like we finally got one now mm-hmm. with a ground game that we're able to use Feaster and Dowdle and Denson to kind of plow through this. And our offensive line is opening up holes to give them these opportunities for success. It's just on the passing side of it, it just doesn't – it hasn't ever really seemed to be there. And kind of to your point that you made on the – Monday show was just, you know, like it's hot and cold with it. Like where you'll have, you know, like Ole Miss last year, we're throwing the ball over the field with huge success. Clemson last year, we're throwing the ball over the field with huge success. And then you hit something like a Virginia or North Carolina or uh, the game against Florida this past week or Missouri. And it's just like, it somehow it completely disappears. The only difference between, you know, those teams, like teams of the last three years versus this one is where you actually seem to be able to run the ball competently. And now it's just trying to find that balance to say, I mean, because it's not a bad thing to go take the deep shots because, you know, you can hit a couple of those. We've got outstanding receivers on the outside. That's a win-win situation. But what they've got to figure out what they want to do is try to build that confidence with the shorter, higher percentage throws that we can work through the system quickly. For sure. I, I will say one thing. I want to get your take on this too, Alex, because you mentioned a lot of games where, you know, I think one of the biggest knocks, and obviously this was before the Georgia week, that South Carolina's failed to show up in the big games or games that even had any slight importance and play its best and play well. And obviously you got the huge upset at Georgia, which obviously debunked that. You beat a ranked team for the first time since 2016. You shocked the college football world, beating the number three team in the country. But I will say one thing that I was proud of to give some credit to South Carolina on a positive light and credit to the coaching staff is that, you know, these type of games previously were games where I felt like South Carolina sometimes would come out. They didn't like they were ready to play. They didn't look motivated. 
I didn't see that on Saturday. I mean, I saw a South Carolina team that went toe-to-toe with the top 10 team in the country. And let's give credit to Florida because I know everyone, the popular thing is to say, well, they're overrated, they're overhyped. Florida's a good football team. Like, they have talent. I mean, it's easy to see they have talent. So let's just give credit to Florida, you know, off the jump. But to me, I was really proud of the way the guys came out, fought. I mean, it looked like two – South Carolina, like, they belong – more than belonged on the field with Florida. I mean, you – you know, you saw the Gamecocks oh, come out yeah. in the opening drive. You know, it, it felt like two heavyweight boxers throwing punches. And, unfortunately, Florida had more punches than we did. But, I mean, like you said, you have everything you could ask for. You're leading going to the fourth quarter in a game against, again, another a top-ten ranked opponent. I mean, what was your take on just the way South Carolina came out? Because, again, I feel like in the past these were games where, you know, for, what other, for whatever reason, when the lights shine brightest, South Carolina – Hasn't been able to play all that well. Obviously, again, this is pre-Georgia week. Uh, we felt this way. But I'm just really proud of the fight and the resiliency we saw with South Carolina to, again, really go toe-to-toe with a team that is a legitimate top-10 team. Oh, absolutely. And I know uh, we were talking um, last week just kind of, you know, the biggest obstacle the coaches had in their way was to mentally prep the guys for what was coming down the pipe after beating Georgia at Georgia. It's like you can't stay in that place you've got to go back to zero and start all over again because you got another top 10 walking in here and you know florida is a a really good football team i mean they operate infinitely better with kyle trask than they did with felipe franks and you know watching you know because i I think we were talking about it last week too just you know the lsu game they had coming up and you know i thought for sure that lsu was going to just pound them into oblivion and they hung in there with them and lsu's a hair away from really good team really in the country good. and you know for them to go down there and hang like that was was big for them and I think it kind of proves to the college football world how good they are and for us to come out on that end and be up three points heading into the fourth quarter against that team you know after beating Georgia I think speaks volumes to the amount of talent that we've got on the roster right now um and you know, I, I give the coaches credit. You know, they've, they've had them ready to play two weeks in a row. We just ran out of steam at the end. For sure. So Wait, I, whether that's, you know, momentum breaking from the officials or just, yeah. again, they just ran out of gas. I mean, we had our chances. I'll say that. Yeah, no doubt. We just didn't hit them. I, I'm going to get you out of here, Alex. Before I do, though, just kind of looking ahead. You know, again, South Carolina obviously looking to rebound, going on the road to Knoxville, Tennessee. I, you know, I thought the Vegas line was interesting because Gamecocks are only favored by four and a half. And, you know, Tennessee's not a good football team. Let's just call it what it is. They are not a good football team. They've got problems of their own, especially at the quarterback position. You know, I think offensively they're really, really struggling. I mean, they're struggling all across the board. But Gamecocks only a four and a half point favorite. Uh, you know, we'll talk – I'll obviously talk about this more later in the week. But this is a game I'm nervous about for whatever reason. South Carolina, Tennessee is always a close game. The Gamecocks have never – played all that great in Knoxville I mean there's been more devastating losses than great wins that I can think of but uh, when you look at this team as a whole not just this Tennessee game but moving forward you know I'll say that one thing that I know we didn't talk a ton about for the Florida game was the defense I'm fully confident the Gamecocks defense is going to be totally fine when you're as good as they are in the line of scrimmage you're going to have a lot of success again I think it's more of give credit to Florida than you know, raise questions about the South Carolina defense. And, again, a lot of those penalties and a lot of the, the impact the refs had was where when the Gamecocks were on defense, I think had a big impact on the way they played. But when you look at this team, Alex, moving forward, and, again, going into a game 
with Tennessee that I would say, you know, it's funny. I say it's a must win, but it's like at this point in the season, every the next one is the most important one of the season. The next one's a must win. They're all must wins at this point. But to me, Tennessee mm-hmm. absolutely falls into that category because I said before the season that Georgia, Florida, Tennessee is the biggest three-game stretch of the season. And the reason that I said that is that I thought it's going to give you a great indicator where this South Carolina program falls as far as the SEC East pecking order. I know they lost to Missouri earlier in the season. But, you know, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee are your three big guys that you're going up against, traditionally at least, every single year. But talk about this team. What are you looking for as far as from Florida week to Tennessee week? Where do you want to see improvement the most? And, you know, what are you looking forward to most when the Gamecocks travel to Knoxville? The offensive consistency. I like more than anything else, you know, like we've proven throughout the season that we can run the ball better than we can throw it. So building a game plan around that and giving Holinsky high percentage throws to build confidence, I think is number one thing floating out there. I'm somewhat surprised that there's even a line on this game. Do they know who's playing quarterback at this point? Is that Mauer kid okay? That So Jeremy Pruitt actually spoke this morning. Obviously, we're recording on Monday. I, I think they're still waiting to update his status. I don't think they know. So, you okay. know, they've had – I mean, they've had a hell of a time at the quarterback position with Garantano and, you know, Maurer. It's been crazy because I think everybody – a lot of people, at least in the preseason, thought Garantano was due for this crazy good year, and he can't even hold on to the starting job. So they have got Ew. major, major issues on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, to say the least. I, I mean, if, if, if you got like a Garantano or a you – know, or that third-string kid going in there, I would expect we cover that and probably look pretty good doing it. That Mauer kid's pretty good. And, you know, since he's been inserted into the game, has played quite well. I mean, even like at the, the Bama game this weekend, I mean, when Garantano fumbled and they had that 100-yard return, that was to put them down four, I think, mm. in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So, I mean, Tennessee's got talent, and they've got good players on that roster. They just seem to be in an uproar at this point. So, mm-hmm. what, you know, what I'd like to see, if that continues and you don't get, you know, Mauer playing, uh, more than anything, I want to see offensive consistency. And if we can build a lead like that, I would really, really, really like to see us not press the brake pedal mm-hmm. at all and just grind it into the ground from there. Yeah, I, I think whoever's playing quarterback for Tennessee, because I, I mean, I fully agree with you, the offensive consistency and somewhat of a, you know, a pulse as far as the passing game is concerned. But I'd like to see our defense really come after who's playing quarterback for Tennessee, because I, I know the Mauer kid's yeah. pretty good. But like you said, if it's Garantano or the other kid, I mean, come after him. I mean, I think South Carolina yeah. could, you know, this is this is a game that South Carolina could, like you said, hit the gas pedal and really pour it on if they can get, you know, a couple in you know turnovers or what have you and I think they can do that I think the Gamecocks defensive line like I said I'm still a believer obviously how can you not believe in a guy like Javon Kinlaw but the rest of those guys too I think South Carolina will have the opportunity to to get after Tennessee one last thing before I let you go Alex is it I want to ask you is it unreasonable and unfair for me to say that if South Carolina loses to Tennessee for whatever reason on Saturday in my opinion you basically undo everything you did getting that big win at Georgia no that's completely reasonable I, I think so. I, I think it's I think it's a must win. It's just it's it's a must win. You're kind of back to square one if you go to Knoxville and lose again. Not putting any negativity out there, but just calling a spade a spade. Like this is a game that you need to. You're a, you are a better football team than Tennessee. You've got to go on the field and do it. So. Oh yeah, and, and well, I mean, like it, especially given uh, the result of the Georgia game this past weekend, where they squeaked by Kentucky at home. 
we've like we you've got to keep putting w's in that win column like we can't beat georgia and be like oh great 2019 season i mean that you can't (laughs) they can't work like that so you've got to have results on the field to prove to everybody hey this is going in the right direction and you know again on the eyeball test watching these games like certainly almost outside of alabama we've had better skill position talent, I would say, mm-hmm. than a lot of these teams were playing. And, yep. you know, especially with the emergence of Kim Law, Sandage, that pick ends. Like, you start to look at the, like, people we've got on the defensive line. Like, we've, we're neck and neck with a lot of these guys right now. Yep. So, we've got to start asserting ourselves to get past this, hey, you know, we're going to go 7-5 and five and 8-4. and four. Like, right. we've got the talent there to do it. It needs to get done, and you've got to beat Tennessee to get to that place. Yeah, and I, I said, you know, a lot of people were asking me last week, you know, oh, do you want to give an apology to Will Muschamp? Are you back on the Will Muschamp <laughs> bandwagon, blah, blah, blah. And, like, you know, I, I said, you know, we've made progress. We did what we needed to do in Athens. Let's just let it play out, though, because this is such a week-to-week game. And nobody – listen, nobody is going to – and if you're doing this, you're stupid. But nobody's going to – crucify Will Muschamp for losing to Florida. It's a top 10 football team. You went toe-to-toe with them. You gave your best shot, and unfortunately it didn't work out. However, you lose to Tennessee, though, things switch back up. I mean, th- things just mm-hmm. – that's you need, like you're saying, I think what you're saying, you need to continue to see progress. We all need to continue to see progress, and you can't continue to build your program and see progress if you can't go on the road up to Knoxville and get a win, again, over a Tennessee team that you are just flat out better than. So, should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Should be interesting. Alex, appreciate you taking the time in. Obviously, we'll talk all about it next week. But uh, appreciate you taking the time in and uh, look forward to speaking with you again soon. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks so much. All right, perfect. So, for Alex McGrath, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Show. time inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply